Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Ollie Watkins just gets away from him, but El Ghazi's behind him. And more El Ghazi! 3 0! Emphatic! Triore with Watkins available. Triore just passes it into the corner. Big moment for him. Here's Douglas the Wee, strong on the ball, opens up for John McGinn, plays the pass towards Watkins! 1-0 Villa! Villa's a big club, mate. Gather round villains and welcome back to Gather Round the Lamp, our Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. It's another difficult show this week following another disappointment as we fell to yet another defeat against Tottenham at the weekend. As we try to make sense of the recent deterioration in form, I'm Andy, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by Craig. Hello, Andy. Hello, listener. Um, we have an incredible opportunity to have an Aston Villa chat. Um, I think it's fair to say that there have been ruptions and divisions, at least in the Twitter fan base, after the 4 uh, 0 defeat at the weekend. And uh, Andy and I are going to do our level best to uh represent all sides of the of the view and the arguments and um dive in and see what we come out with you certainly will and uh i know dan had a few a few things he would have been wanting to say today as well but um some yeah, strong we, thoughts we, i think it's fair to say strong thoughts indeed and i think anyone that follows him on twitter probably uh probably found that out as well but um Onto the, the the lineup really, and Stephen Gerrard uh, tweaked the team slightly for this one, with Danny Ings and Douglas Ruiz coming back into the side to replace Leon Bailey and Morgan Sanson. Luca Dina was uh, well enough to start, but again didn't finish the match. As we also welcomed Marvelous Nakamba back into the squad uh, as he started on the bench. Um, it was almost like just kind of reverting back to the the first team after last week's experiment at Wolves kind of failed really um are you surprised though that Gerard seems to find it increasingly difficult to make any changes to the side despite a seemingly having um a wealth of options and obviously the terrible form at the moment well I'm going to try and be balanced with this one <laughs> Andy so let me start with let me let me start with some mitigation or explanation for why Gerard might be doing this I'm assuming that Gerard has established a favourite set of players and that he is using these match minutes, these crucial Premier League match minutes to try and bed them into his system. That would be the only reason I could possibly see for playing players who are so out of form. Um, Konza, we're going to talk about, has, has not been in form for a little while. Callum Chambers hasn't done anything wrong, just as a strong example. And Konza possibly responsible in part for all four of Tottenham's goals. So decisions like that are curious. We saw Douglas Louise come out of the midfield against Wolves and the midfield badly struggled, um, probably putting paid to some of the suggestions that Douglas Louise was the problem. The problem, as always, is the gaps, in my view, the, the large gaps that even um, <laughs> Mo Farah could not fill um, because there's just so much space. Now, Sanson for me in the Wolves game and he was actually the best the best of a bad bunch in the midfield three and he's the one that's dropped and um and Douglas Louise comes back in so and and also Gerard had said 
in regards to Sanson that he need, he had been excelling in training and that he needed to give Sanson minutes because his performances on the training pitch had warranted them and also because Sanson deserved, in, in Gerard's words, the opportunity to show what he's made of at Premier League level. So bearing in mind that we're not going to Europe, we're not going down, even though we're languishing on 36 points still, um, you would think that this was an opportunity for Gerard to see some of these squad players, but um, it seems that he just wants to see the same 11 every week, Andy. Yeah, well, this is what, what what I was thinking, really. I mean, we've been talking all season, haven't we, about the, the, the strength of the options, certainly on the bench. And it's un- undoubtedly it's better than it was last season and the season before. But um, it seems that we're still in this position where it's it's hard to rotate the team. It's hard to really, you know, if you bring Buendia in, you, you're weakening the side because you're taking out Coutinho, if you if you bring in Sanson in, potentially you you are weakening the side. If you bring Leon Bailey in for one of the front two, you know are you are you you know is there is there any improvement there? You know, it's it's hard to make a case sometimes for for making these changes. And every every week we seem to see see Gerard saying there'll be changes. You know. <laughs> That was not good enough. We're going to have to make changes, and and it's so difficult to do, and it's so dis- difficult for him to justify it unless, you know, he sees something in training that that we don't see, or or if he, you know, p- perhaps decides to give, you know, you know, someone like Carney, a, a, you know, a couple of games in the side. So it's 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 quite frustrating, really, you know, to to be in this position again, um, where we're we're watching the same players, kind of fail in the same way every every week every week again again and again yeah it's almost like the definition of badness andy which is to do the same thing again and again and expect a different outcome i mean that's what some people might say well it certainly is Uh, i think i think there's you know there's certainly a case for you know making you know you know allowing the players the time to to adjust but you know at the same time yeah i mean there's 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 been 20 games now and we've had some we've had some good, really good spells we had that uh, that that uh, big that run in the beginning of Gerard's tenure where we won four out of the first six then we had a diabolical run i think it was one win in nine including the FA Cup which we were dumped out of by a really lackluster man united uh, uh, team with the caveat that there was a controversial VAR call which ruled out a uh, a Danny Ings goal that that caveat accepted villa villa still won one in nine which is Really, actually, diabolical form. There's no real way to dress that up. Then we go on a, a magical three-game winning run, score a bunch of goals, concede no- nothing, and all of a sudden now we are four back-to-back defeats. So it's really, I can understand both sides of the argument in terms of what people are looking at with Gerard. Some people, and 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 these are Dan Dan's words. <laughs> Some people like Dan have have had have not had enough necessarily, but are beginning to reach the end of their tether with, with Gerard and these really Jekyll and Hyde performances and uh, these awful runs of form. And other people are saying the, the, the four wins out of the six and they're seeing the three wins in, on the spin and they're seeing, they're seeing the kind of green shoots, to quote Steve Bruce. They see something there. I mean, you were there on, uh, on, on Saturday, Andy. And, I mean, we're going to talk about the game in some, some detail, but um, 
how if ever there was a result that could really inspire you and also really kick you in the balls all at the same time, it was that first and second half um, at, at Tottenham. So I, I, I just think the jury has to really be out on Steven Gerrard. I think, I think, I think people asking questions of Steven Gerrard at this point, I think it's legitimate. I think it's reasonable, given the just god awful performances again and again and again. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I like, just wondered. I mean, we'll get on to Steven Gerrard um, a bit a bit later on, but given that run of four, that you, you you talked about those those kind of streaks, if you like, of, of good and bad form. Um, do you think people would have accepted it more if it had been kind of more interspersed? So rather than a bad run and a good run, if it was more sort of win one, lose one, draw one, do you think that would feel better? You know, we sat in the same, in the same position, same number of points, but a bit more of an interspersed yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. I- I think that the psychology, it's the psychology of, of, of life almost, the psychology of momentum. I mean, all of us probably in our lives have experienced times where things are going really, really well. And it's like those moments, you, you don't want them to, to, to ever stop, but they, they invariably do. And then likewise, you have the, the reverse of that, where it seems absolutely nothing is going right for you. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And likewise, it feels like those moments are never going to come to an end, but they eventually do. So I think that as a, as a, as a fan, as a fan, we are you know fan is, is short for fanatic. We're all emotionally invested. So when your team is getting beaten four times in a row, it hurts, and you do you do start to wonder when the next win's coming from. Likewise, when you win three games in a row, you start to think, ah, this Gerard guy, he's a genius. We're never going to lose again. And obviously, the truth is neither of those things. The truth is somewhere in the middle. So, to your point, yes, I do think if the there was a little bit more balance, and if we were um, slightly more, um, you know, win one, draw one, lose one, win one, draw one, lose one, we would be able to have a clearer vision of what this full side is. Because at the moment, Andy, it's just famine or feast. Yeah, and getting onto the game, you you talked about the the two halves there, and I mean, it was a poor start um, to the match for Villa as. You know, on three minutes, Ezri Konza, as you mentioned, failed to deal with a, a straight long ball, really. And the ball eventually fell to Son, who showed all of his quality, really, to find the bottom corner um, from the edge of the box. And it kind of felt like same old Villa um, at this stage, bad start, you know, conceding a goal early on. Um, but it kind of sparked Villa into life on this occasion, as really, I felt they went on to, to dominate the rest of the half. Danny Ings, Watkins, Coutinho and Cash all had really good chances to equalise. Um, some a lot clearer than others, to be fair. Um, John McGinn also tested Hugo, Hugo, Hugo Lloris, easy for me to say, for, from range. Um, he kept Spurs ahead, really, with some excellent saves. It was a good performance by him. Um, aside from scoring, it was arguably Villa's best half of football under Steven Gerrard. Um, Spurs really struggled to get out their own half due to the sort of precision and the aggression of the, the Villa press. Um, if we had to take this this half in isolation, how did you rate the performance? And you know, is there are there positives we can take from it into the the Leicester game? Yes, there are there are positives to take. Absolutely, there are positives to take, and I like to take the positives because positives are nice. They feel better to me than the negatives. I am. Um, 
I am kind of a glass half full kind of guy in general life, um, but Villa make it very hard for you <laughs> at times. <laughs> but I will say that there were some wonderful attacking phases. There were some wonderfully pretty pictures being made. Uh, Coutinho was 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 irresistible. The, um, the 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 movement and the 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 attacking prowess on 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 display fills you with confidence that when this team is up and running it can be absolutely irresistible the problem is <laughs> and there's lots of so those are the positives and they there are positives let's try and be balanced here some of those attacking movements were were wonderful it was like it was like you know uh, dare I say some of the the best moments in Smithball we also saw wonderful attacking moments and, and, and Dean Smith's teams always look like scoring and that Gerrard team in that first half in, in Tottenham did absolutely everything but score and you can thank Hugo Loris for that and um, some really really shocking finishing from our, from our strikers which we can probably talk about in some more detail in a moment so yeah I'm not going to sit here and say there weren't positives but here's the here's the, the bottom line and this is something that long time listeners of the podcast will have heard me say many times and I'm going to say it just one more <clears throat> just clearing my throat for it because this is really <laughs> the crux of the matter and I can't get past it so here it is if you need to score five effing <laughs> goals to win a game of football you are effed that was the PG version. You can fill in the blanks there for yourself. So however many positives you want to take, however many, however however optimistic you want to be about Gerard Ball, about what the future might hold, we needed to score five goals on Saturday to win. We needed to score four goals to draw. It is completely, completely un doable it's impossible we cannot do it man city can't do it barcelona can't do it madrid can't do it the madrid chelsea game yesterday chelsea couldn't do it there's not a team on planet earth that can do it and aston villa cannot do it it's just that simple yeah no it's it is true and i mean it, in the stands it felt like um you know villa villa were just uh, like you were used the word irresistible i think you know they were they were making attacks. They were obviously missing chances, and um, certain moves went begging. Then, of course, there were there were other occasions where um, the the you know the the ball would look like it was coming coming our way again up towards the halt end with Tottenham, and we'd snuff out the danger. The midfield were were all over it. The press was was really strong, really aggressive. We were winning the ball back in really good areas. It was it was really impressive. Um, in so many ways, um, but it was just that awful, some some really awful finishing. There was some some bad luck as well. I think Matt, Matt Cash had a really good volley um, saved by Lloris. That would have been a, a really good goal. Obviously, McGinn's long range effort um, was was unlucky. I think Ramsey hit the post as well after a great run. That would have been a stunning goal. Um, but you look at the strikers, you know, two thirty million pound strikers. You got Ollie Watkins heading the ball over from six yards out, dead centre of the goal, completely unmarked. Beautiful cross, 
heads it over. And of course, you know, there was the, the Danny Ings chance when, you know, Watkins then flicked the ball on and, and Ings came in at the back post and completely scuffed his shot. And, and the little you cute know, the, dink over the top from Coutinho where he's got a one-on-one. These two, neither of them have had good seasons, but, but really so often now when we've really relied on them to be to be on, on point, they, they just haven't been. Ings is really pissing me off now, Andy. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. And, and the reason, the reason why, not well, the reason why obviously is because he's failing is is really the reason why. But um, uh, and I don't think he's not. I don't think he's like not trying or anything. So I don't think I wouldn't characterize him as like a, a bad apple. He's not like a Ross McCormick or you know just a waster. I do think he's trying his best. In all fairness to him, so let me preface everything I say with with that. It's not like I think he's unprofessional or anything like that. But this is a guy that we have spent thirty million pounds on in the last in the last year of his contract. So we paid thirty million pounds, for example, to get him a year early, let's say. We could have picked him up for nothing in two months when his contract expires at the end of May. We could have picked him up for nothing and we could have saved a whole thirty million pounds to spend elsewhere, not to mention a year of wages. So not only was the Ings deal a bad deal because it's not worked out. We bought we spent so much money on that transfer fee, so much money on wages, and it's a player that for all his talents doesn't actually fit in, in the system that Dean Smith plays. It doesn't seem to fit very well in the system that Gerard plays uh, either. So and the fact that we bought him with a year left on his deal just it really annoys me. I'm like, we could have got this guy for free now in two months. So this thirty million, if we, if he'd fired us into Europe, you'd have said, "Well, I'm glad we got him in a year early, Andy, because that thirty million, look what it's done for Aston Villa. We're worse off than we were last year with him." And to me, it, it is it is it almost eclipses the bad signings like um, Ross McCormick. It, it, it eclipses Scott Hogan and and some of the other wasters we've had around the place, just because of the the sheer money involved and because of the pedigree of the player. This is a guy who was scoring 20 goals a year in a bang average Southampton team and he's coming into Aston Villa and he's missing sitters, Andy. He's missing sitters and I can't... Well, you said it last week, I think, on the show. You said whenever we get a sure thing as Aston Villa fans, it just doesn't work out. And and I don't know how. Why, how have we ruined Danny Ings? <laughs> One of the best finishers <laughs> in the league. Can't, can't bloody finish now. What happened? No, exactly, and I mean I have to say I think it was the best the best half of football he's had um, at Villa. I think he I thought he was excellent. He led the line really well. He got he you know he he got involved in the attacks. He was he linked his link play with um, with Coutinho and Watkins was was excellent. But what we pay him for is is that chance at the back post to make it one all and. You know, it could it would have been an entirely different game if that if that goal goes in. It's 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 entirely different. But the same is true of of, of Watkins. Um, you know, and it, 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 I mean, you know, we'll, we'll get onto them a, a bit later. But hindsight is a great thing. You know, we could have we could have probably got four or five goals out of Cameron Archer um, this season. I mean, yeah, we got I ten goals out of bloody Al Ghazi, my my beautiful baby boy. I'm sure we could have got five out of Archer. Yeah, for absolutely. free, for nothing. Yeah, yeah, and um, we'd have been, he'd have been that that much further along with his development. Um, but it's, it, it, I mean, I guess we didn't really know when we signed Danny Ings that um, that Archer was going to be um, 
you know potential. I guess we we haven't really seen um, Kieran Dave, uh, Kieran Keenan Davis um, produce this kind the, of form. The, the, the love child of Kieran Clark and Keenan <laughs> Davis there. It's kind of Irish, uh, Irish, Irish, poor Irish ten and a half and misfiring forward. Sorry, no. <laughs> so um, we didn't know at the time. So we, you know, what I would say is we all wanted a striker, didn't we? Um, and no one was really turning turning their no, nose no, up no. At, at Danny Ings, were they at the, at the time? But like you say, the, these are the kind yeah. of decisions that make or break um, CEOs and sporting directors for me. Um, you know, these 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 big signings that are heralded as the replacement for um, one of the best players to play for Villa, certainly in the Premier League era. Um, and uh, you know, you get precious little out of it out of any of them, Bailey and Buendia included. It's it's really um, it's really probably time to take a long look at Perslow, to look at Langer, to look at McKenzie. Um, we don't. The, the problem with Villa is this kind of cloak and dagger. We don't know who's responsible for each signing because we know that some signings are rumoured to be Morgan Sanson for example is heavily rumoured to be a um, Johan Langer signing whereas Esri Konza for example was heavily rumoured to be a Dean Smith signing so we there is a lot of kind of guesswork and, and, and some assumptions now that the heavy rumour is that in Ings was a Perslow signing because we know that Perslow has a little bit of a fetish for a name I think that's fair to say but when you're paying um, you know for five league goals from Danny Ings as you say Archer could have done that no problem so we, what, what are we? We're paying six million a goal for Danny Ings this year um, for a player we could get for free. So it's it's really we really have to ask questions about the um, about the recruitment. I think in the last summer, because these three players that have come in to replace Grealish, quote unquote, from 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 Perslow's own mouth, there, um, you can't say any of them. Any of them have been an unqualified success. In fact, I would say Buendia has been the best of the bunch, but even he has, has, has performed in fits and starts. Ings, you'd have to categorise as a failure thus far. Doesn't mean he'll be, he'll be a failure forever, but and, and Bailey also, you have to characterise as a failure, that, failure thus far. So, you know, early days, for particularly for Buendia and Bailey, because they're both on the younger side, Ings was kind of bought for here and now. So it's really a little bit scary to see how they've wasted that money bearing in mind that there could be there could be big signings coming in again and and do we trust the board do we trust the brain trust to get them right yeah absolutely they'll certainly need to be um moving some players on i think to to fund whatever plans they've got in the summer so that and that might be a bit of a painful process for us i think but um you know it always felt like a a big ask for for villa to repeat the first half display um, and the next goal would be would be vital, um, and it was in fact the the next three goals that gave Spurs the points as Kuliseski, um and Son, who completed his hat trick, uh, took the game away from Villa um, with twenty minutes still still to play um, at that stage in the ground the ground rapidly empty emptying. Um, as with the first goal, it was um, it was it was striking really how the Villa defence, in particular Ezri Konza. Struggled with the 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 long sort of Spurs diagonal balls. Um, I think the first three goals 
you know, came from that route really. Uh, long balls, you know, almost almost targeting uh, Conte in, in that way. Uh, targeted sort of game plan by Conte. Um, the defence is one area of the team where we felt really confident with at the start of, start of the season, given how solid and organised it was last season. However, it felt like some 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 of the personnel maybe and the framework as a whole may need a, an overhaul this summer. Um, what's going wrong and, and has this back line come to the end of its cycle, do you think? It has in this formation um, because they're not offered the same protections. Esri Konza has um, come in for, for dogs abuse on, on Villa Twitter. Um, some of it reasonable because he did have a very poor game and he is in poor form. You know, let's call it what it is. You know, Konza isn't playing well but this is also a player who not so long ago everyone was telling me how um, Konza's the number one defender of the club oh he's far better than Mings and I was like hold on a minute I think you'll find Mings is is really helping Konza along now also what was helping Konza along was the, the, the system that Dean Smith was playing because he had certain protections in front of him be that Douglas Ruiz or Marvellous Decamba and also the um, John McGinn was also playing in a deeper role for much of last season when we did, I will remind you, get a record-breaking um, uh, 15 clean sheets. So let's just strip away the emotion. I don't really like this idea that Konza's crap all of a sudden, that people are saying that he should be sold, Ming should be sold, everyone should be sold. I, I think that's really a little bit short-sighted because, first of all, you can't necessarily just sell whoever you want to sell. It doesn't work like that. It's not a football manager. And some people have lives. They have children. They have wives. They may be embedded in the community. They may have kids in school. It's not necessarily just like clicking your fingers and someone moves because you want them to move. There are other layers to consider. And the second thing is look at the personnel and what they've achieved for this football club. Okay? Esri Konza, Tyrone Mings... Uh, Matty Cash and Andy's friend Matt Target, along with Emmy Martinez, basically were the backline who equaled the Premier League clean sheet record for Dean Smith's Aston Villa side last year. Equaled the clean sheet record. Let's have a think about some of the defenders that have played for Aston Villa. Gareth Southgate has played for Aston Villa. Hugo Echiog, the god Paul McGrath has played for Aston Villa. Uh, FIFA 2002 player, <laughs> players team of the tournament Alpai Azalan, <laughs> Olaf Melberg Martin Larson. we've had um, even you know some, 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 some steady eddies in there as well you know we, we have had some really elite defenders that have played centre back for Aston Villa over the years Gareth Barry for goodness sake is part of a back three one of the the all time leading Premier League record holder Yes, I know he spent lots of his time in the field, but he also was part of a Villa defence once upon a time. Out of all of those defences and all those defenders in Aston Villa history, these lads, Cash, Konza, Mings, Target, kept the most clean sheets out of anybody and they did it less than one year ago. So this idea that they're all suddenly shit is just not true. It's not sensible. It's fanciful. The simple fact of the matter is Steven Gerrard's system exposes them and asks them to do things which make them look bad because they're not able to do it. So they may, so I'm kind of contradicting myself here, they may need to be replaced 
if Gerard wants to continue with the system. But that's not because they're bad players. It's because they're being asked to do things they can't do. And they're being exposed week after week after week after week. That's what's going on. But let's not hammer these boys. Let's appreciate what they've already done for Aston Villa. They haven't become bad players overnight. They're not protected in this system, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I think I think that's really fair. I think that's a, a really kind of balanced way of looking at it. And um, you would hope that um, if 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 this this backline is to stay together, that they will um, Gerard will will make those additions in the summer that that that, that allow allow them to get back to that 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 type of form. You know, I I, I totally agree. I think I think Conza is an interesting one because we have always. I think me, the the Tyrone Mings fan club, if you like, um, have always defended Mings by almost paying um, a bit of a backhanded compliment to to um, to Esri Conza because we've always said, haven't we? How well you know the reason Conza is so solid and so so much improved. And he's coming on so well is because he's playing alongside Tyrone Mings. Um, the same as you know, I can remember saying the same about John Terry. Um, you know, turning Alan Hutton into a top left back. You know, <laughs> as soon as as soon as John Terry left, Alan Hutton didn't know where to stand anymore. Um, so you know, it, it's it's a similar sort of thing, but but in a different way. Esri Kunza is clearly you know a very promising, but already a very very good Premier League defender you know he's been on apparently on the on the brink of the England squad and you know he's been talked about um a call up for Portugal as well who's who he qualifies for so he's not he's not a bad player and he doesn't become a bad player overnight um but he's having a rough time of it um for whatever reason um you know and <laughs> I don't know I, I just like that old-fashioned idea that um you know, when when one of our own is going through a tough time, we get round them and and give them a bit of support and a bit of a bit of a bit of encouragement. Yeah. You know, <laughs> would that be is is that is that beyond the, the 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 pale these days? I don't know. I think it is on on Twitter. I think um, it's it's not in, in in the stadium in the ground. And you're you're there. I don't imagine too many people are are, are calling out Konza and, and and things like that in the actual ground. I think that the you know the the the, the Twitter. Um, the, the the Twitter discourse, if you like, is it is a is a slightly altered reality uh, for for many people, and um, I think that um, I think I agree with you. I think we have to put some respect on Ezri Konza's name. I don't think that uh, Steven Gerrard's system suits him. There are some rumours that that he may be moved along, and let me assure you, there will be no shortage of suitors for Ezri Konza, and um, and and that might just need to be what happens in terms of. And I don't want to be like um, I'm not I'm I'm because I'm saying it's fine to sell them at the same time saying don't try and kick them out if that makes sense. I'm not saying sell them because they're crap because they're not crap. I've just made that point very clearly. They are actually the best defensive unit we have statistically in the history of the Premier League. The four of those guys. And um, what I would say is that they may need to be changed just because you need. A different type of player to play Gerard's system, so I don't know if Gerard thinks he's going to be able to sign twelve players um, 
because that that might be what it takes in the summer. We could have that uh, that repeat of the old summer before we we hit the the drop zone. That famous picture, I think uh, Michael Richards is doing like a selfie or something in the. He's got Thiago Loris is there and <laughs> and Jordan Ayu, Jordan Veritaut, Ghana Gay. You know that that uh, Rudy big Rudy Gested. What a star he was. <laughs> uh, Lescott. <laughs> yeah, uh, Gun. Let's not forget him. Was it Gun? That was that, Mark that awful yeah. Mark Bun. There you go. Awful goalkeeper he was. So it could be that we have Joe Gomez uh, this summer with the selfie stick doing that with with Gerard's ten new signings. So it might be what's going to be happening anyway. But if these players are are going to be moved along, it's not because they're not good enough to be Premier League footballers, all of these players are going to play for other Premier League teams and some of them might actually move up the league rather than down. But um, for Gerard's system, Gerard's system exposes them and it's it's just, I think it's just a bad bad look for, for, for everyone. I think it's a bad look for the players because they're being made to look crap, crapper than they are. And it's a bad look for Gerard because he's playing a system which which is exposing the frailties of his players. I mean, one of the key attributes I think of a coach is to you know kind of accentuate what's that song accentuate the positives <laughs> and you know hide the negatives well I, I forget what the song is but you know what I mean and he's he's not doing that he's like I'm gonna p- play my system come hell or high water and if you can't play it get out which is fine um, but I think he could probably do it in a little bit more of a gradual way rather than this kind of scorched earth approach that we're seeing at the moment yeah and in terms of Mings I was watching um uh, the uh, Gary Neville's YouTube channel <laughs> the other the other day, and he was on. There was a, a fan kind of um, question and answer thing with with Neville Carragher and, and Roy Keane, and, and Roy Keane was talking about um, Harry Maguire at United and the fact that he's the United captain, um, and his form is obviously suffering badly, much worse than 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 our players um, in many ways. Um, but he's obviously carrying an awful lot of responsibility on his shoulders and managing a, a very kind of um, uh, or a dressing room with certainly one of the biggest egos in the universe <laughs> within it. Um, and he, Roy Keane was essentially saying what he needs to do is just is just go back to basics and be a bit more selfish, um, be a bit more focused in on his own game. And I wonder if this also perhaps applies to Tyro Mings at times, whether... I mean, we'd obviously miss miss that if he was. We'd miss his his general character if he did become like that. But when he plays for England, he he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make any errors. He's never out of position. He just defends really well. Um, when he's playing with people that he doesn't necessarily have to organise. Um, do you think that applies to him? Yeah, I do. I think it's the, the Southgate, as we know, much to much to. The, the chagrin of many England fans is an ult, ult, ultimate pragmatist. Um, he is not a progressive football manager. He is a kind of meat and potatoes, safety first manager. I think Gerard is the opposite. I think Gerard is a risk taker and he's a maverick. And um, when you have a meat and potatoes kind of system, like uh, let's say like a Roy Hodgson, for example, like a Gareth Southgate, for example, like a Sean Dyche, for example, Play, managers like that, although they're not sexy, admittedly, and Villa want to be sexy, so I understand that. Managers like that protect their players. You know, Gary Cahill, for example, at 44 years old, was playing Premier League football, 
um, in that Roy Hodgson system very well, at a very high level for Crystal Palace a couple of years ago, just because things were set up around him so he could still do the things that he needs to do. Dyche has somehow kept a ragtag bunch of really championship players ultimately in the Premier League for six, seven, eight years at this point. They might, I think their luck might have run out this season. But it's just remarkable. And the way that he does that is by accentuating their positives and hiding their deficiencies and their weaknesses. And like I said, whoever gets Tar- Tarkovsky, they're in for a rude awakening because let me tell you, he's the next Michael Keane. As soon as you ask him to do different things and uh, you, he will be exposed and you'll see, you'll see him for what he is. So I think that... Tyrone Mings is 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 going to be just just fine if if the future doesn't if the future at, at isn't for Mings at Aston Villa um, then for sure Tyrone Mings is a player that I could see moving up the league not down the league I could see a Leicester coming in for Tyrone Mings tomorrow I could see even Arsenal coming in for a Tyrone Mings I could see many teams above us taking Mings because he has all of those attributes he's English he's a leader. And when you do ask him to do less stuff, as you're alluding to, Andy, um, he's one of the best left-sided defenders in the league, as just as just as just as a fact. I mean, people are gonna probably hate at me for saying that, but it's just a fact. Look at his physical attributes. Look at his mental attributes. He is just just on his own. He's physically superior to basically every other player he comes up against, apart from maybe Lukaku, and that in itself. Is 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 a great trait to have if you're going to be used in the right way. But um, Gerard again, a bit more of a maverick, wants a different kind of defender, and that, there's nothing wrong with that in itself. Uh, we just have to be aware of what's going on and, and and label it as as it is, rather than saying this this guy's crap, that guy's crap, this guy's crap, that guy's crap. Douglas Louise is another example. Let me put my neck on the line here. I will I will give if Douglas Louise leaves this summer. Let me say this, I'm going to say this publicly here and now. I'm committing it to the record. I will give £100, Andy, if Douglas Louise leaves this summer, I will give £100, Andy, to a charity of your choice if Aston Villa play Champions League football before Douglas Louise does. He's going to the top. But this system makes him look like a jabroni. But hey, I'm getting off the beaten track here. (laughs) But there you go. No, I've think, said it uh, here. Hundred pounds, Andy, to a charity of your choice. If Aston Villa play Champions League football before Douglas Louise. No, fair enough. I think I think you I think you bang on. I would I would, I would second that. Although I'm not I'm not chipping in on that particular bit. <laughs> 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 That's all yours. <laughs> but um, no, I think I think you I think you're right. And I think there's a case for saying a few of the players, like you you mentioned Mings there, and you know the. the they're players that could go elsewhere and be far more appreciated. Uh, I would, I would imagine. Um, but I mean, you know, we'll move on to the manager. And since the weekend's result, making it four defeats in a row with Leicester away uh, next weekend, um, much has been discussed about about Steven Gerrard and whether he's proving to be the right appointment, or whether it's really too early to judge. Um, some make the point also that Dean Smith. Was was sacked after after five defeats on the bounce, um, so should the same criteria apply to Gerard? Um, clearly, context is everything. You know the, the different circumstances, really. But where do you stand on Stephen Gerrard, and 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 what do you need to see from from him and the team um, and his his 
coaching staff over the next seven games going into the summer? <sighs> this is where we this is where we get tickly. Um, I think there are certain I've seen people. I've this is this is this is how disparate we are in our views. This week on Aston Villa Twitter, I've seen people calling for Steven Gerrard's head. I think our colleague Daniel might be ready to see see the back of Steven Gerrard. There are others that are ready to see the back of Steven Gerrard. I've also said, I've also seen on the far other side of the scale, Andy, I've seen people say this week on Twitter that, uh, that and I'm <laughs> struggling to say this with a straight face, that Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, or uh, Antonio Conte would be doing no better with this group of players than Gerard is. Those are the two ends of the spectrum that we're dealing with. And I find that to be really interesting. And I'm at neither of those points personally. I think that the idea that Gerard should be sacked right now is 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 incorrect. I don't think he should be sacked right now. I think that he is stubborn. I think he's naive. I think he's young. I think he's a maverick. I think he's got ideas and I think that he he needs probably to have a, a dose of pragmatism and, and he probably needs to walk before he can run. But I do see green shoots and I do see the possibility that he has something something special about him. Um, and then the other side of things, when people say, anyone who tries to claim that Gerard is currently getting the best out of this group of players, that to me is also fanciful. There is no chance in hell that Gerard is getting the best out of this Aston Villa group right now. No way. No way is he getting the best. And we know he's not getting the best because we've already seen the best out of this group of players. We've already seen that they can keep clean sheets and win one, games 1-0. One so the idea that him losing four in a row, losing 4-0 at home to Tottenham when we just beat them last year under Dean Smith, that's the best we can do? No. Gerard is not a Klopp. He's not a Pep Guardiola. He's a novice manager with a lot to learn and a lot to prove. So somewhere in the middle is probably where where we fit. I think Gerard has had some wonderful signs. The 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 hard to beat kind of side that emerged when he first took over that won four out of that first six was really 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 exciting because we were so hard to beat even when we were losing. We were only losing by the odd goal here or there. So that was encouraging. But now this team now that we're seeing. Andy, tell me, is there a, is there an easier team in the Premier League right now to score against in Aston Villa? No, I think um I think I think you know a lot a lot of a lot of what you say is right and um I just think I, I understand the the, the 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 arguments that I've heard are, are more about you know the fact that managers should be able to come in and um you know and get a group of players together and get them playing better you know when a new manager comes in we talk about this new manager bounce don't we and and things change a little bit and you know then generally speaking results improve that's 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 what we're talking about here um and people have kind of bemoaned the fact that Gerard hasn't really made any improvements to the team um, despite bringing in, obviously, you know, a couple of really, really good elite players in in the in the January window, things have kind of fallen off a cliff. I just think that when you appoint a manager, 
if he's not, you know, lots of teams appoint an interim manager in the in the in middle of the season, don't they? If they sack the manager, but I think if you if you're appointing a young um, project manager, if you like, um, you've got to give him the, the the opportunity to 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 build his own side to at least put the players who he would choose on the pitch rather than the players he's given. Now, not every club can 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 afford a manager that that luxury, but Aston Villa can. You know, we we in the summer we can we can give Gerard um the tools well we can either give him the tools to make him a success or enough rope to hang himself with. And that's kind of what we're what we're moving towards here. Once he's got a summer under his belt, a pre-season, because that's the other thing he's always talked about. The, the signings is one thing, but he's always talked about having a having a pre-season with his squad, and that he's he hasn't had that luxury um, at Aston Villa um, when he's come in. He, he can have a pre-season. He can he can have a transfer window. He'll probably be a little bit frustrated that he's not at Liverpool and he can't attract more or less who he wants. But there might be some, you know, the opportunity to sign some big players that will make a difference, um, a big difference to the first team. But then it's about tidying things up around the edges and getting his game plan bang on for next season, you know, because once he's had that opportunity, people will expect to see a degree of progress. Not overnight Champions League, but we can see what he's doing here, and this is an improvement on what Dean Smith was doing. That's what that's what people are looking for, I think. And um, you know, the these kind of you know arguments from you know one end to the other, which are based on 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 nothing really. I mean, clearly, those three managers would would probably be doing better <laughs> with, oh, with yeah, that group I of mean. players. I think that that might be a, a safe assumption. Um, so, okay, well, this is this is this is what I wanted. This is where we get into the weeds here. This is so strap in, put on a cup of tea because this is where I want to get into the weeds. Okay, now as a as a football club, as an organisation, Aston Villa Football Club, a club that has um, that was three years ago was in the Championship. Just for that context, now. Andy, let's assume we go that route, okay? Let's assume we go that route. Let's say that Gerard um, has the right, and I do actually think he has the right. I'm not disagreeing with this. I'm just giving you all, you listeners, a proposal. Let's let's go down the let's go down the path here. Let's go down the garden path. Come down the garden <laughs> path with me. That's a different. That could part. be the new. That could be. That could be a new, a new. That sounds a bit wrong, actually. Come down the garden. Anyway, so okay, so. In the summer, which is very close, we're already mid-April. We are a couple of months away from the Champions League, from the uh, transfer window opening. Okay, let's say Gerard hates these players as he seems to. Douglas Louise gone. Tyrone Mings gone. Ezri Konza gone. Matt Target gone. Morgan Sanson gone. El Ghazi gone. Trezeguet gone. Ings gone. Watkins want well. Let's say one of one of them stays. Let's say Ings goes. Okay, there's eight players there off the top of my head. All of those, Chokomenka for sure, he's going to go. 
I mean, why the hell would he sign a new deal when he, he can't get a sniff? So there's nine players there, just right off the top of my head, from our first team squad, gone. That is a large, large chunk of change. That is the heart and soul of Aston Villa Football Club being ripped out and taken, even more so than the removals of Jack, Jack Grealish and Dean Smith, just because of the amount of players that are there. And let's say Gerard brings in 10 players. He's been linked with the likes of Joe Gomez, who I don't like, but whatever. Gerard has the right to have his own players. Coutinho signs on permanent. He gets the Basuma that he wants and he gets some of the other targets that he wants to fill in. Let's say he does that. We could do that. We have the money to do it. We have the, the I think those players will attract the bids and I think that we could do that. And he, he signs a top level striker. Let's say he has his team, he has his preseason, and Aston Villa absolutely, really badly, badly struggle in the first half of next season, which I don't think is a wildly crazy assumption because just because of the squad churn you're going to have, you're going to have no continuity and also you still have a relatively novice manager. And let's say that we are in the same kind of position we were come November when Dean Smith was sacked. The board panicked because they can't afford to get relegated again. They sack him. As Aston Villa Football Club, can we afford to give Steven Gerrard, and this is a question, I'm not, I'm not saying either way, can we afford to give Gerrard that kind of leeway when he has no track record at this level? And again, that's not opinion, that's fact. He hasn't managed at this level, that's just the truth. Can we afford to give that manager, can Aston Villa Football Club, Andy, afford to give Gerrard that kind of leeway? Well, this is this is part of the, um, the the debate that's 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 kind of going on is whether they they are going to look at the structure and and whether you know to give the manager give Steven Gerrard a little bit more say I guess in the transfer in the transfer wind transfer market, um, which is kind of an old fashioned. I mean that was always the way before, wasn't it? But it's kind of an old-fashioned way of doing things now. You know, the manager, of course, will always have a say on the players they they bring in, um, but they won't be kind of necessarily front and center of that operation. So um, it's interesting, and you know, if if Gerard had, you could argue that if Gerard had got. Two more wins of all the games that we've we've lost. If two of them had been wins, we potentially we'd be sat there on um, forty-two points now, probably saying he's done a great job. You know, give him the give him that little bit of extra in the summer. Get his get his players in, um, and 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 let's see what we can do next season. But as it is at the moment, we're looking at it going. I mean, you know, we've lost. He's got a worse um, win percentage than Dean Smith had, I, I believe, um, in this just in this season. Um, and I just think it's a, it feels like it feels a bit risky because, like you say, he could do that. It could all fall apart, and by Christmas we've got a new manager who wants to do the same thing again. <laughs> exactly, and it's. It's it's it, it's a really hard, a really difficult, and this is this is the problem is this is the kind of situation we found us we found ourselves in before changing managers mid season. That manager then has to revamp the team in the summer or in the January in January. It still doesn't work. It's not good enough, and we get a new manager. 
You know, at what point do we say, this is your squad? <laughs> We're going to sign the players. You coach the team and we expect results. <laughs> well, that was the system that I thought we had with, with Dean Smith. So, but obviously they've, 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 they've thrown the, the, they've thrown that one out. They've, um, they've, they've, they've burnt it down. Um, and, and, Andy, you didn't answer the question. Can we afford to? Can would would you would you do it? Would you give the guy that power? Would you say, here you go, throw out ten of these players who who we know we know they're not necessarily going to be world beaters, but we know we're going to be in the Premier League. Bring in ten of your players and let's see how we go. Well, would, I, would you roll the dice with Steven Gerrard like that? In my yes or no? Yes, because in in my heart of hearts, I think this is the end of the cycle for this squad, um, and I think it needs I think it needs revamping. Um, I, I wouldn't quite say 10 out, but quite often that, that tends to happen, doesn't it? You know, even when you think, well, there's only two or three need to go, you, f- you find that actually it's a lot more than that and you end up signing more players than you thought. And, you know, it's... That's, unfortunately, I think I think that's a mid-table thing as well. I think, I think you know, you're always going to get a lot of players sort of going through the, the revolving door. At, at clubs like ours at the moment, because we we don't have that that much clout to either keep players or 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 necessarily sign the ones we want to sign. You say ten is a lot, okay? I'm, I'm looking at the squad here. Let's say Conza goes, okay? Let's say Courtney Hawes goes, Ashley Young, he will probably go. Douglas Louise goes, Sanson goes. Um, let's say Chokomenka goes because he's not going to sign a new deal. That's six already. Yeah. That's six already without even looking at... Then you've got El Ghazi who's going to go. You've got Trez who's going to go. And um, there's probably a couple of others on loan. Harahan's going to go. We won't count him because um, he's, he's out of contract. Already there, that's eight. That's without Bertrand Traore or Leon Bailey or one of Watkins or Ings. So 10 in, 10 out is not as, is not as, um, is not as crazy as it seems because I think there's going to be seven or eight leaving anyway. A, a, a conservative, a conserv- conservative. Um, uh, um. I think. I think possibly when you're looking at the, the sort of the the spine of the team, you know, I think Gerard is going to be looking to, to strengthen that, it because it probably needs strengthening. You know, but can you can you sign someone say to play, to play at left centre back and and keep Mings at the club? Can you sign someone to play? as a number eight and keep McGinn at the club, you know, th- these are the the kind of questions they're going to ask, you know, this, this, the same thing applied to, to Luca Dean and Matt Target. Once you've signed Luca Dean, you know. Oh, I forgot okay. Target. He's going to be leaving. That's my place. <laughs> but as, as soon as you sign someone like that, who's, who's obviously going to be a first choice, the player he's replacing goes, well, I'm not, I'm not just going to sit on the bench or <laughs> I want to I want to go and play somewhere and you know you can't always you haven't always got the clout to be able to say well no we we actually think you should stay here and we we're going to keep you. So um it's 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 a complex situation for Villa. I think they've got to be very uh very careful with it and once they've made decisions about what they they're going to do have the have the um the fortitude to should we say to 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 go through with it? Um, but yes, I think I think I think we're possibly at the end of the cycle for this squad, and I think it 
it certainly needs some change if not complete churn um so we'll we'll we'll, we'll see how that goes but um yeah i'm i'm still i'm still cautiously optimistic about gerard that he he is going to be a, a top manager and we are going to see the benefits of that over the next couple of years um so i'm i'm i'm, I'm going to stick my neck out that much my my thinking is I I also think that Gerard might just have it what it takes to be a top manager, but I have a feeling that he might be a top manager in six or seven years, <laughs> and that we might get get him. That maybe we got him in a little bit too early um, when he was well, still a little bit too raw. Maybe he needed a little bit more seasoning. Um, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope he's he's going to be a top manager, you know, straight away, obviously, because that's going to be great for Aston Villa. Yeah, well, if he's if he's going to be a top manager, he's probably going to have to succeed to some degree at Aston Villa, isn't he? Because the way the way it works now, you don't get many opportunities. Um, and when was the last? Who was the last Villa manager to go on and do, do a better job? Um, was it Graham Taylor? Yeah, it could be. I mean, even seeing Dean Smith sacked and then getting another Premier League job—that's unusual. Um, you don't see many Villa managers um, leaving Villa and, and going on to better things. Um, so he's he's going to have to book the trend with that, um, really. So um, you know, we we'll, we we'll, we'll, we shall see. But um, alongside the um, the poor form off. On the field, uh, one of the big talking points from from around the fan base mm. this week has been uh, the proposed season ticket and match ticket price uh, rises, um, which are expected to be confirmed in the coming weeks. Uh, it was reported from the fan consultation group meeting last week that prices will be going up by at least ten percent, uh, with fans in some areas being hit harder as the club intend to to level up the costs around the ground in order to simplify pricing, in quote quote marks. Um, there are many facets to this debate, and with the club clearly wanting to make the most of their Premier League status, having had three years of, of frozen prices really in the Championship, um, along with that behind-closed-doors season due to the pandemic. However, many fans also face being priced out, um, not least due to the the cost of living crisis currently uh, in the UK. Um, so, is this? Do you think this is fair from the club, or, or you know, do you think it's kind of been coming for a while? This kind of this kind of action, or should they be be prepared to absorb another season of of relatively low ticket prices, given the the financial landscape that many many fans are facing? I think the famous Bayern Munich quote from um, from uh, oh my goodness, what's his name? Uh, is it Rummenigge? Could be. Um, <laughs> I, it might not be, but anyway, the the uh, the 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 I want to say it's Karl Heinz Rummenigge, but I may have made that up. Um, the the Bayern Munich uh, uh, chair, chief exec, whatever, uh, where he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, yes, we could we could charge an extra two hundred euros per ticket. And uh, or or whatever we can increase the prices, but that's that's only going to be worth you know an extra three or four or five million for us as a, a football club. Um, and he said we we spend you know two or three seconds talking about five million pa- five million euros in regards to transfer fees, whereas this 
these increases, £100 here, I think six, £700 for some people, even more. That makes a real difference to families that have already been, uh, without being too political, royally shat on from a great height by, you know, a lack of kind of government oversight, um, working people are not, are not protected, um, fuel prices are not capped, they're not protected, the the, the quote-unquote market forces are being allowed to run riot. There is a literal criminal now sitting in 10 Downing Street. That's not libelous, it's official, it's officially a criminal. So um, it's really hard to see, and, and, and I come from a, 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 a no, no, no qualms in, in telling you all here, I come from working working class background. Um, I've able I've been able to enjoy some some um, quote unquote success in my in my personal life, and and, and we are touch wood um, not in a position as a family where we are um, where we are going to be some of the people most hardest hit. Firstly, we don't live in the same country, but but even so, lots of my friends, lots of my family members are not in the same boat. People are really facing a cost of living crisis, and. If the football club has the ability to to help out to an extent, then I think they they, they should do because they can and 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 their and, and their revenues are not dependent on 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 these ticket prices. You know, just some of the players we mentioned, Target's going to probably fetch fifteen million, Amwar and Trez, that's probably another ten million for those two. Conza uh, is probably going to fetch 20 million. You know, Villa can generate money now with the assets we have in this squad. Just for example, very very easily they can they can generate revenue just with the click of a, a, a commercial deal, a new kit sponsor. There's lots of ways that Villa can make this money up without hitting the fan the hardest. So people already have difficult decisions to make. We're seeing people um, choosing between feeding their family or heating their homes. And this is 2022 in England. Uh, this is going on. Um, there's people use record numbers of people using food banks in England. So really, the the political optics or the political climate really couldn't be any worse for Aston Villa to announce a um, a price increase. So no, I don't think they should. I don't think that they need to do it. I think that even if they announced, listen, guys, we can't afford to sign X player because we're keeping the prices low. I think people would accept that. Um, I know that some people probably won't be able to afford their renewals anyway with the way the cost of living. Some some families are going to have tough choices to make. There will be certainly season ticket holders. Um, there'll be there'll be mums and dads turning around to their little boys and girls telling them how they can't go to the villa this season because they can't afford it. So there's already going to be people squeezed out even if they keep the prices the same um, just because families have to cut their cloth accordingly. Um, so that was a very long-winded answer, but it's something you can probably hear. I'm quite, I'm quite passionate about because um, I think that the football club is is the fabric of 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 the community. It's certainly a way that I grew up and bonded with my dad and my uncles going to the football. And again, we weren't a rich family growing up. One of the reasons that we could go is because we we could afford it. It was it was it was it was, it was affordable for us anyway. And so the idea that there will be like a little Craig somewhere who can't go to the, the football with his dad this year because Villa are going to jack up the prices breaks my heart a little bit to, without trying to sound too soppy about it, Andy. No, I think you're right. I think I think it's um, it's we've got to look at it from the from the human side, haven't we? And the club will look at it from the from the the capitalist um, 
sort of uh, profit margin side of things. And now they'll also look at the fact that um, there's 20 odd thousand people waiting on a waiting list um, and the proposed ground development um, is probably another year to 18 months away anyway. Um, you know, so they kind of, they will look at it and say, well, if, if that family can't go, there'll be another family on the waiting list that can go. That's how they look at it. And that's a shame because, you know, the, these are people's, people's lives. People have built their lives around going to Villa, even people that go on their own. I go, I go to the Villa on my own and, you know, it's part of my, it's part of my life. Um, um, I think I'd, I'd, I'd probably be able to be okay with it, but but I think I think um, there will be people who have to make tough choices and 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 cut something out of their life that they've probably done for the last ten, twenty, thirty, forty years. You know, which is which is really really awful, isn't it? You know, imagine yeah, you know, and people say well it's just football, but imagine you know telling. Imagine someone telling you if that the thing you love doing, you no, you can't do that anymore. Can't do that anymore. Um because we want we want to make more money. So I just think it's um it's 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 a really uncomfortable thing and it, it's it's something that obviously, you know, over the years uh ticket prices have gone up and and Villa is currently one of the one of the 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 most reasonable um season ticket season ticket prices out there but it just feels it just feels wrong it's poor timing and it's 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 really um not not a failure to read the room i think as as much as anything else yeah and and just to be clear it's not that Aston Villa football club and and Perslow and NSWE are responsible for the kind of governance in the UK obviously they are not no. in, in control but there is as you rightly say Andy there is a, a kind of timing issue there is a, a question of just reading the room and there is just a question of of do we need how much do we as a football club need this additional revenue particularly if you're going to be expanding the stadium anyway um, maybe you can put the prices up in the um, the executive boxes, for example, and the corporate suites. You know where people might be better able to afford to to um, to absorb them. You know, there's probably other ways that you can you can find the money. Just cut Danny Ings loose for a start. There you go. That'll do. That'll <laughs> that'll do you yeah. sorted. Yeah, I mean, and, and and yeah, like we say, I mean, we we do want to see great players, and I think in the past these ticket prices would have been. Would have been very much linked, you know. The, the the rises in ticket prices in the eighties and nineties would have been would have been very much linked to the the um, the success of the team on the pitch and who we could afford to 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 go and sign and and pay to come and play for Aston Villa. But that's not the case now, you know. That's you know you've got you've got ownership worth sort of upwards of eight billion between them. Um, you know, it's 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 not necessary. You know, at least at least give people a bit of leeway. Um, you know, and 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 allow people. You know, maybe a a year or two more before you uh, start slamming the prices up. In my opinion, but you know, we'll see. But 
see see what comes out of it and see what gets decided in the end. I don't think anything is 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 fully decided yet, so we'll see how it goes. Um, but by by far the most encouraging part of, of of the weekend was the performances of some of our lone stars, um, with Cameron Archer scoring a, a, an individual beauty for Preston, while Keenan Davis bagged on his bagged against uh, the Blues and enjoyed his moment in front of the the Birmingham City fans at uh, at Nottingham Forest. Gerard was quite clear when he was questioned about these two in particular that they would not be allowing them to go out on loan again, and it would it would take really large bids to to prize them away from from him and they'll be assessed in the summer as to whether they they have a future in the first team at Villa um it feels like Gerard could have possibly used these players over the last few weeks to sharpen up his attack so with a summer shake-up expected how do you see them fitting in and 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 how have you judged their their performances so far on loan well, you have to be most impressed with with Cameron Archer. I think that Cameron Archer has uh, his goals, his not just his goals record, but also the different types of goals he has labelled at Aston Villa as the uh, the young Tevez. And um, it's all good, well, and good to see see a striker who can score one type of goal. But when you see someone scoring inside the box, outside the box, left foot, right foot, headers. Um, it begins to get quite juicy and quite exciting. Ollie Watkins, for example, has never scored a goal outside of the the, the box for Aston Villa. Um, he doesn't really have that in his locker. Um, we see that he doesn't really score too many headed goals for Aston Villa, as case in point in the weekend. Whereas Archer scores all of these kinds of goals. And while Archer might not necessarily have the, the pressing ability and the athleticism that Ollie Watkins possesses and brings to the party, certainly as the old adage goes, goals win games. Keenan Davis is the best the best striker at the club at holding up the football. He's the best uh the, he's he's the best by a mile. Some of his hold up play and his intricacy and his skills and his first touch holding off players. He can also dribble he's got dribble, sorry, he's got a trick in him. He's strong, he's quick. Aerially he's good as well. Um in terms of the raw Elements. If you're going to build, if you're going to build a striker from scratch, you know it would look kind of like Keenan Davis because he has all of those attributes. The one area where he um, falls down, as we know, is finishing. But again, <laughs> Danny Ings has we've scored five Premier League goals. I'm going to say something else controversial today. If Keenan Davis had played all the minutes for Aston Villa this season that Danny Ings had played, he would have also have scored five goals at least. And he also would have contributed far more as a player to the team overall. I'm grabbing my hat now, ready for the, ready for the, ready for the, for the, for the barrage of abuse on Twitter. You can find me at Craig Storrid. <laughs> um, so definitely, they're worth a look. Definitely, Archer. I think might need another loan. Keenan Davis. It's probably time to to to, to poop or get off the pot. Um, and um, if if they don't think he's ready, which is very possible, I think Davis might still need a year or two. Of seasoning, I would potentially sell Keenan Davis to a Forest with a buyback option. So if he does continue to grow and develop, and he is maybe more of a, a Jamie Vardy, um, not in terms of stature and, and, and playing profile, just in terms of someone who doesn't really get all the pieces together until they're 28, 29, Villa still have an opportunity to 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 bring him in because again, the raw the raw elements with Keenan Davis are very very special. But I think Archer's the one to watch. I think Archer's the one that I would like to see uh, starting for Aston Villa ahead of Danny Ings in uh, next season, for sure. 
Yeah, I th- I'd agree with that. I think we have to obviously recognise the fact that, that it's a huge jump uh, from the Championship to the Premier League, just in terms of the just in terms of the time you get on the ball, and certainly in those areas, in the striking areas, it's it's next to nothing. It's re- it's really really tight, and I think um, it will take some time to adapt. But it's an interesting thing because I was talking to, to to a friend about this, and we have no qualms about going and and giving Brentford thirty three million for Ollie Watkins, who has you know d- done it in the Championship. But we're, we're far more sceptical of our own players um, who we've brought through our academy, who are now doing it in the Championship. Um, you know, I wonder if. If if Cameron Archer, I mean, possibly not actually, but say Cameron Archer had played for Preston all season and scored twenty goals, is he the sort of player we'd be interested in? You know, would we be going to Preston and saying, "Here's twenty million, twenty five million for for Cameron Archer"? You know, it's an interesting kind of thing, but he's our player, and we kind of almost have this mistrust of our own academy um, because we we which we, is odd yeah. because our academy just produced. Uh, British football's first £100 million player. I mean, that's not something we just made up. I mean, that literally just happened. I mean, it was a big deal. You can yeah. read about it. Yeah, it's a real thing. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, it, it feels like we're, we're we're always a bit a bit reluctant. Oh, you know, they're not quite ready. They're not quite They're not quite up to it. They're never going to be if they don't play. If you don't... Well, if look you... at Ramsey. Ramsey's a great example for that. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't ready, but they played him. And then and now, what's he worth, Andy? What would you what, what would you sell him for well, today? I mean, blimey, I think I think there'd be lots of lots of clubs interested just from his pure potential. I think you'd be looking at certainly twenty five upwards um, for yeah, him for sure, w- without a doubt. And I don't think I'd let him go for that, to be honest, at the moment. So, um, you know, I just think I just think with these players, and even Keenan. I mean, if just say for example that the system we go with next season is with the two strikers, like we have been playing. You need four strikers. You need four strikers at the club, and for me, then Archer and Davis come into the reckoning because they can, you know, they can do do that job. They can interchange, even if one of Watkins or Ings leaves the club. You've still got, you can still bring in a new striker and have Archer and Davis at the club. So, you know, I think I think they need to be involved, both of them. Um, Davis possibly more. You know, if 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 Forest go up and they offer, you know, a, a reasonable amount for him, I think he fair enough. You let him go, um, but I'd have no problem with with the two of them being being involved at the start of next season. You know, certainly certainly from the bench, particularly with the five substitutes as well. I think with the the, the other thing with Davis is if you're playing two, if you're going to play two strikers. There is no better strike partner for any of the strikers at the club, I think, than Keenan Davis. Yeah, I'd agree. Because he's such a he's such a fulcrum, he's such a guy you can bounce off of. And and you know, I, I think some of the best moments um of 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 that we've seen from, from Davis actually have been when he's been paired for for brief moments with Ollie Watkins. And the two of them together never really had a, any kind of run in the team, but they they certainly looked um, you know, it, it released Watkins and and, and, and and Davis is like I think the Heskey comparison is probably a little bit lazy, um, but there's certainly elements there where Heskey, although he was not the best striker in his own right, other than a few very good seasons at Liverpool, 
Um, every strike partner he ever played with, he improved. And, you know, Michael Owen said he was the best person he ever played with, so on and so forth. And lots of people just love playing with Emil Heskey. I think it could be a similar thing for Keenan Davis, but they deserve a chance. They deserve a look in. I would, I would send, um, I've seen a really interesting, interesting thing actually about Danny Ings, um, that Danny Ings is, is, allegedly being offered to Brighton as part of a part exchange deal for, for Eve Basuma. That is a deal that makes all the sense in the world. And you know what? Ings will score 20 goals a season for, <laughs> for Brighton if he goes there. Yeah. They make so many chances. It's unbelievable. He will have a field day and I think it's more his 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 pace. So that could be a great deal. Um, I'd like to see the back of Danny Ings and, and I would give, hey, give Archer and Davis a chance, baby. Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'd be all for it and I want to see um, more of our academy players involved next year. Certainly, Kessler Hayden as well. I think he's got to be um, he's got to be back and, and in the squad next season. Um, so we'll see how we'll see how that pans out. But um, thanks again for joining me, Craig. It's been uh, it's been a another long one. <laughs> we we like these long podcasts. Um, I hope everyone's uh, still with us and and has enjoyed the show. And thanks for listening. Um, head over to Under a Gaslit Lamp uh, and check out the website over there and of course follow us on the socials no game this weekend so enjoy the FA Cup and we'll be back next week um, as we look ahead to the Leicester game away um, on the Saturday but um, until then stay safe and up the villa